Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Come, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place, fill each one of us to overflowing. And Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words and your grace and truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Don't you love it when you get the family discount? I, uh, I have a good friend. He's in the HVAC business. He's a member uh, uh, of this parish. He's been active here for a long, long time. Wonderful guy. He had to come and help us with our unit over here, and he gave me the family discount. Ah, there's nothing that beats that. And, uh, and I don't mean the actual family discount because your last name is on the sign of the store, but when you're treated like family. You're adopted into the family. So much so that the price on the package doesn't apply to you. You're moved to the front of the line. You, uh, to quote the old American Express commercials, uh, your membership has its privileges. And you've been made a member of the family with all the rights and privileges associated with that membership. you got to love when that happens. It's it's one of the best things in life. So I was filling out a form uh, for our church and a grant application re- just earlier this week. And, and one of the questions on the form was all about our membership. Uh, how many members are there of the cathedral? And so that got me thinking, what does it mean to be a member of this family, the cathedral family? And on a day like today, a a baptismal Sunday, this is a particularly timely question. So today we're we're baptizing little little Peter Bruner, and uh, we're going to say to him in a little while, we receive you into the fellowship of the church. And that's, that's a way of saying to him, welcome to the family. You're in the family, little guy. And yes, we mean the cathedral family, but of course uh, the cathedral is part of a much broader family um, and membership in that family does indeed come with great privileges. But what are they? Well, first we should begin by establishing what family we're talking about. What's the family name on the store uh, where we get our family discounts? So I want If you would, I have you open your Bibles. If you brought your own, please open it to the book of Zechariah. If you don't have your own Bible, you can use our pew Bibles. That's those right there in front of you. And you can find the passage we're looking at. We're looking at chapter 12 of Zechariah. And you can find our passage. uh, We're going to start at verse 8 on page 799 of the pew Bibles. So the family name, according to Zechariah, turns out it's the House of David. And this morning I want to talk about what it means to be a member of that family and how it is that we are welcomed 
and made members. So the prophet Zechariah uh, was writing in the years following the return of the people of Israel back to the land from their exile in Babylon. Uh, the Persian Empire, uh, led by uh, an emperor named Cyrus, they had defeated Babylon, and the Persians had a different way of handling their conquered peoples, whereas the Babylonians would take their smartest, best, and brightest out of their land and take them back to Babylon and try and indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture and religion and whatnot. What happened with the Persians is that they actually let people be in their countries. They, better, they preferred to appease the people by letting them keep their culture, including their religion. And so here are the Israelites. They, they have been uh, uh, released from Babylon by the Persians. They've returned to their land. Um, but the, they're in a time when Zechariah is writing in a bit of upheaval in the Persian Empire because they're in transition between one emperor and another. And in that vulnerable transitional time, as is often the case, there's a lot of upheaval. There's a lot of threat from other nations. And so Jerusalem is suffering under this, this constant threat of attack. And so they have returned to the land, but, but things are very unsteady. They're uncertain. And this unsteadiness and this uncertainty uh, wasn't exclusively because of those threats on the outside. Turns out there were also threats on the inside. Uh, the book begins with the word of the Lord coming to the prophet Zechariah, calling on uh, the people not to fall into the same evil and rebellious patterns of their forefathers. So clearly that is a threat, that they might turn away from the Lord. The Lord says, return to me and I will return to you. And with that, the prophecy then begins to unfold, a prophecy of God's mighty restoration of this beleaguered nation. And it's significant that in our passage from chapter 12 and, in, and then the very first verse of chapter 13, that the prophet Zechariah, he uses this name, the house of David. It brings to mind the covenant uh, that was made with King David in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, you don't need to turn there. But in that chapter, the Lord speaks uh, to Samuel and he tells Samuel to remind uh, David of how he took this lowly shepherd boy from the pasture and made him uh, the anointed king, the prince over his people Israel. The Lord uh, says to David, I have been with you. Wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And the Lord goes on to make a promise that he will make a place of peace where Israel will be planted and will prosper. And he declares to David that when David's days are fulfilled, when he dies, uh, he will raise up his offspring after him. And his son will build a house for the Lord. And the Lord promises he will establish the throne of that son's kingdom forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, the Lord promises David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, fast forward several hundred years and try and put yourself into the, the minds and hearts of the people of Israelites as they are being carried off in exile 
to Babylon. There's no sign of their king anywhere. They're conquered. Surely they must have felt that this covenant was utterly wiped away. Now, granted, they were being exiled because of their own rebelliousness, their abandonment of the Lord. But they must have thought that covenant is dead. How devastating must they have been. But now here we are in, in the days of Zechariah, as the nation is slowly returned to the land and Jerusalem is slowly being rebuilt, there is this faint glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, even if only barely, the covenant with the house of David is still intact. But here in verse 8, as our passage begins, we find that the promise isn't only being restored, it's being expanded. It's a promise not just with the royal house of David, it's that house being expanded. Not only Jerusalem, but the whole of Judah is receiving the Lord's salvation. And not only that, on the day of the Lord, he says his saving protection will be so comprehensive that the prophet says in Jerusalem, even the feeblest among them shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord, he says, going before them. To a person, even the most feeble and helpless, they will all be included in the covenant and will take on leadership like the one once referred to as being a man after God's own heart. They will be in the fashion of God's own heart. They will become like God themselves. How so? They will be full of compassion themselves for the feeble. And they need not worry about the soundness of this covenant for the, Lord, for the Lord will not only protect them, but verse 9, he will destroy all those who come against his beloved. All threats. So what does it mean to be made part of the family in the house of David? What privileges are there? Well, it seems, as we read this, that there is this great blessing this privilege that your covenant maker is your covenant keeper too. This whole chapter from the first verses right the way down to these verses we've read this morning are filled with the Lord describing all the ways he will act to bring about his salvation. This salvation is his. Over and over again we read the Lord saying, I am, I will. It's his salvation of the people. He will adopt and make even the feeble to become like David. To be inheritors of that same covenant promise. And on this family, we read verse 10, he will pour out a spirit of grace. And that spirit of grace will grant what I believe is the greatest of all the privileges of this family. Although I... Fear that many of us might regard it not as a privilege at all. But it is. It's such a privilege. And here it is. The Lord tells the house of David that he will also pour out pleas for mercy. He gives 
the family members the privilege of conviction of the heart and clarity of sight upon that which has made their salvation, their adoption possible. He's going to give the feeble the, the very same heart as David, the one who said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. They will look upon and, and see how it is that the covenant maker is also the covenant keeper. The great privilege of membership in the family is this grace to be able to say that the alienating sin, that sin that should have broken the covenant, it's mine. It's mine. And in verses 12 through 14, it's made clear that the, the mourning over the sin will be across every clan within the family. It'll be David and Nathan and their wives. Those are the members with the royal blood. It'll be Levi and Shammai and their wives. Those are the members with the priestly blood. And then he says, all those that are left. So all the members, every one of them, shall mourn, be convicted of sin. And they will mourn profoundly, deeply. They'll mourn, he writes, as those who mourn an only child or a firstborn child, all because they have been given the grace to look upon and see him whom they have pierced. It's a strange phrase. Look upon the one whom they have pierced. It was strange for them, at least. They may have had some recollection of, of Isaiah talking about a, a suffering servant, a, a, a person who's... who's uh, going to be pierced by his stripes, they would be healed. They may have had some recollection of this, but this would have been a strange phrase. What do we mean? Look upon the one that we have pierced? Yeah, they will be given the grace to see and know the covenant maker keeps the covenant by himself being pierced. And from that piercing, we read, there will be a flowing fountain. Chapter 13, verse 1 the prophet says, on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. This reminds me of a painting I saw. Uh, one of my dear friends, some of you know her, her name is Karen Turner. She's a member of this church and she's a remarkable artist. And she did a painting of the crucified Lord Jesus as part of a, a Stations of the Cross and uh, in this painting, it, it's painted from the perspective, Jesus is laying down on his back, his hand outstretched upon the beam of the cross, and he's looking down his arms straight at you. And then kneeling over Jesus with a nail upon his wrist and an hammer, hammer raised up is a Roman soldier. And actually the model for that Roman soldier actually is her husband, Corey. <laughs> And behind that Roman soldier holding a hammer is another Roman soldier. And behind that Roman soldier, there's what looks like a disciple of some sort, sort of a Middle Eastern person around Jesus' time. And behind that person, and that person's holding a hammer. And behind that person is a woman who looks maybe like Mary, Jesus' own mother, holding a hammer. And then there's another person, it's a nun, holding a hammer. And then there's a fireman holding a hammer. And then there's a child 
a little girl holding a hammer, and then another person, and another person, and another person, and another person, and the line just goes off into the distance until you can't see. It disappears into the distance. Countless people from countless generations holding countless hammers ready to nail Jesus to the cross. This is the great privilege of membership in the family, to be a part of the house of David, inheritors of the covenant promise. It is to look upon David's greater son. Jesus, who is the son of David and the son of God, pierced for our transgressions and with his blood has cleansed us from all our sin. This fountain of his blood cleansing us from all our uncleanness and making us a part of his family. The privilege is to be given sight, indeed insight, into the price of our adoption and to see and to know the glory of our covenant keeper who paid that price. And that's what each of us is given in our baptism. That is what Peter will be given today. This little one, this feeble one. And it's appropriate that it's a child, a little baby, helpless, feeble, made like David. Adopted into the house of David. And I think St. Paul describes this glorious grace. For it is the Lord's work today. It is a grace given. A spirit of grace poured out. This grace of our baptism. It's, it's beautifully written in his letter to the Galatians. Chapter 3 verse 25 and following. He writes this. But now that faith has come. We're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all children. Sons and daughters of God. Through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's now neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. There's another covenant kept. Heirs according to promise. There it is, the spirit of grace that brings us all into the family. Abraham's offspring, yes, but also David's offspring. Heirs of all the privileges that come with membership in the house of David. A family of people who are after God's own heart. So today we're, we're also beginning a preaching series. We're... We're calling it a people after God's own heart. We're going to look to the life of our ancestor, David. We're going to look to his life, his ups, his downs, and the ways in which he was a man after God's own heart and was made more and more a man after God's own heart and ultimately uh, was the one who uh, the Lord said to his own Lord, his own son, who was greater than him, 
but he sit at the right hand of the Father. And we're going to look at that life. Because as we talk about here cultivating Christ's likeness, ultimately that's really what it's all about, is that our heart would be united so much with the Lord's heart that we would know that we are after his own heart. And so we begin it today, and we'll carry that on through the summer. And it should be, I think, a helpful time for us um, to look to this life of a man who was so great and yet so feeble. It's a great way for us to understand this wonderful grace that's poured out, the spirit of grace that's poured out on all of us, for we are all members of that family. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the glorious good news that you are a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And you have kept it through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, who came into Jerusalem and brought full restoration to that city and established that kingdom forever as he was pierced for our sin. And from those wounds poured out his blood a fountain that cleanses us from all our sin and all our uncleanness. Continue to give us eyes, Lord. Give us that wonderful privilege of being in the family of the house of David to look upon the one whom we have pierced and to know that he has made it possible for us to be in the family. Amen.